You are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast focusing on the interface of biology and social science, coming to you from the podcast recording studio at John Jay College in New York City. For more information about today's topic, visit visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H. Hello, and welcome to This World of Humans. I'm your host, Nathan Lentz. Your producer is Sam Anderson. And today we're going to talk about lying in children and how much it connects to other problematic behaviors. Our guest today is our very own Dr. Angela Crossman, the chair of the psychology department here at John Jay College. Dr. Crossman is a developmental psychologist and an expert on children and their lies, and she has a particular interest in the reliability of children's testimony in court, given what we know about their truthfulness. Now, it's safe to say that I have a particular interest in this subject as the parent of two young children, uh, but I think this is a topic that everyone can find interesting because the common wisdom is that children always tell the truth, and while it may start out that way, they definitely develop uh, some less than truthful habits as they get a little bit older. Uh, We are so fortunate to have Dr. Crossman with us in the studio today to help us make sense of it all. Welcome, Dr. Crossman. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so my first question to you is, When do children first start to tell little fibs? Well, we see um, even two-year-olds will start to tell little lies. Um, Mostly they're in the, of the kind that is, no, I didn't do something. So denial of something that, that maybe they did, like eating candy before dinner or coloring on your wall with a green marker, things like that. Okay. So they're lying to sort of get out of, to avoid some negative consequences. Yes. Okay not sort of Machiavellian laying a trap for someone. You don't see that too, hopefully. Not yet. (laughs) Uh, Well, a question I've always had is how aware are children that they are lying when they do it? Like, do they convince themselves of a sort of alternative reality and the memories get warped around that story that they sort of wish was true? Or what do you think? Well, I think at the very early ages, um, they're, they're not really aware. and So it's not, it's not entirely clear when they're fully aware in, and when they're aware that they're manipulating what you are thinking. Um, but we know from the research that children's understanding of how other people think is related to their lie telling. So if they start to lie, their theory of mind um, improves. If their theory of mind improves, they start to lie. So those are those are related concepts. I'm really glad you brought that up because this reminded me of theory of mind as I was reading about it. This And for our listeners, this is this idea that um, at some point, human beings become aware that other people have thoughts and feelings and memories and and they might believe something that's untrue. or they, and, and once you become aware of somebody else's sort of inner self, um, that was my question to you, was that's when you become interested in possibly manipulating the inner self of others. Uh, is that, do I have that right? Yeah, and, and children also start in the preschool years to play with some of the concepts and, you know, and through elementary school, so maybe tricking somebody. So technically you could call... Um, some of the tricks they play, lies. So we've had parents complete lie diaries where they record all their children's lies and sometimes what they're recording are children tricking them. And that's, again, that's a playful way to engage with this idea that other people, you can manipulate other people's thinking and and, and what they believe. Okay, so uh, now we want to talk about a specific study that has just been published. The title of that paper is Lie Telling as a Mode of Antisocial Action, Children's Lies and Behavior Problems. And Dr. Crossman is an author in that study, and it looks at how lying connects to other problematic behaviors. So my first question to you, Dr. Crossman, is what inspired this study? What made you and your colleagues want to look at this particular question? 
Uh, I've been working closely, actually, with Victoria Talwar, one of the other authors, for, oh gosh, it's been over a decade now. Um, And we first got interested in trying to understand why kids start to lie in the first place Mm -hmm. and what there might be in their environments that would be related to that behavior. So she had presented a, a paper at a conference, actually, talking about children in different schools in Africa where some of the schools had more um, sort of punitive, what we would maybe consider more punitive um, disciplinary styles, and others had what we would consider more authoritative parent, uh, disciplinary styles. So, you know, like a timeout sort of thing or, or talking with a child about something they had done wrong as opposed to sort of a, a hit, for example, uh, you know, a slap. Um, and what they found was that the children at the more punitive schools were lying earlier and better than the children at the other schools. And I thought that was fascinating, and I wondered if it would transfer or translate into parent-child relationships in a more normative, um, you know, regular, not a school environment and not in any extreme, but just in everyday families, if there would be a similar relationship or even at the extremes. So we started doing research from that point, um, looking at the development of children's lying and how it might be related to their cognitive development and their social development and the parenting um, and uh, environment that they were in. And this grew out of that research focus. Right. And I'm a biologist, so I love part of my passion for social science is how the questions have to be tackled so creatively. Because with me, I go in my lab and I can mix up the chemicals and just set the perfect conditions exactly the way. But in social science, life is a messy, moving process, and you have to try to come in and catch a snapshot of it. So, and, and if you want to study children's lying, especially as it relates to other behaviors and parenting, how do you capture it without also altering it? We're trying to compare this behavior two different ways. So I mentioned sort of having children tell lies intentionally that you tell them to tell mm-hmm. and seeing if adults can detect them. Well, that's not very natural. Right. Right. That's a very stilted kind of methodology. So we wanted something to, to rely on something that was more natural where kids could choose whether or not to lie. Um, so that's tricky because it's not an experiment in the sense that I can't control which kid, I don't control which kids lie or don't lie. They really control that. Um, so it's quasi-experimental mm-hmm. in the sense that I don't put kids in groups They group themselves by their own behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were looking at that. They're um, lying in a lab setting and also how parents record their lies. So we had two different studies here where we looked at lying in two different ways. So let's talk about the laboratory setting first. Uh, So in your lab, uh, what did you ask them to lie about? So we had a game, uh, like a a trivia game on a computer. It had eight questions. And the idea was they win a prize if they get all eight questions right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they go through with the experimenter the first seven questions and um, there's and, you know, when the experimenter can gives a little subtle hint Mm -hmm. as needed to make sure they get all seven questions right. But there's a hint button on the computer that the child can push to get a hint to get the correct answer. But the experimenter says, but, you know, when you push that, sometimes it crashes the program. So they're aware of this. But, they, you know, they push the hint button one or two times during these first seven questions mm-hmm. so they know how it works. <laughs> so then the experimenter says, I have to leave the room. Don't peek. Don't use the hint button while I'm gone. And when I come back, you know, we'll see how you did. So the child is left alone in the room. They either use the hint button or do not on question number eight. 
Now, question number eight is an impossible question. It is a fictional question with a non-real answer, right? So there's no real answer, no correct answer. So they cannot possibly know an answer. <laughs> then, and then regardless, once the child records an answer, right, either they've done the hint button or not, and they've recorded an answer, a minute later the experimenter comes back and asks the child if what happened, because, of course, the computer is now frozen. I don't know if I said that. Yeah, ex- yeah as you yeah. said, it, it it freezes no matter what. Okay. So when the experimenter comes back, says, what happened? And then says, um, did you push the hint button? And so the question is, does the child lie or not mm-hmm. about having pushed the hint button? And that's what we're looking at. So I think in legal circles, this would be called entrapment. Uh, <laughs> you've created a situation where, of right. course, they're going to do that. Um, and w- first of all, what percentage of them roughly do choose to lie? In this situation, about half of the kids cheated, and then about half of those lied about it. Okay. In, in other iterations where we've done um, a, a similar kind of paradigm where there's no evidence, uh-huh. so they're either peeking at something behind them or not, um, which you, you, you know, there's no evidence of that when you come back in the room, the lie rate is closer to 80% typically. Right, um, okay. So this is a little bit low, actually, for... And it's probably low because some of the kids are savvy enough to know that they're going to get caught in this lie. Right. right. Or or at least they could. They could, right. And some of it's probably, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, is a matter of social intelligence or savvy about what you can get away with and what you can't. Yeah, I I think it is. Um, In in part because we see, we do this with kids and we've done it with four different lie situations Mm -hmm. with the same children and they're not consistent in terms of when they lie and when they don't lie. There's not a clear pattern. So it's not like they're, these are just liars and... Right. Okay. Some, some kids tell, they, they tell lies selectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems very clear that the context is important. They're judging whether or not they're going to do this behavior, this lying behavior, based on the context. Maybe some, uh, that fear seems to be, re- you know, having a sure. temperament of, that's fearful seems to be related for some kids in conjunction with their cognitive abilities. Right. So those together predict whether they lie. Their understanding of other people's thinking is related to whether or not they choose to lie. So um, there are a lot of factors that play into it, but context is certainly important. I see. And this actually introduces a topic we don't talk about too much on this podcast, so so I'm glad, Uh, and that's ethics, Mm -hmm. uh, that you have to approach uh, research studies like this uh, with certain ethical standards. You're you're deceiving people, in this case children. Children are, of course, a protected class. Um, What are sort of the ethical concerns that you take into account when designing a study? I mean, you don't want to subject the children to trauma and, and harm and and but you've you've set them up <laughs> for at least a mild discomfort in the sense that when you're caught in a lie that's no fun at all well i don't know that we're i mean they're lying to us but right. i'm not sure we're really <laughs> lying to them i mean what we i mean the reality is this is a very natural situation that children are in all the time sure so it's not that the risk to the child is no different than they would have in school right. if they have an opportunity to peek at an answer mm-hmm. on a quiz. So it's a very typical kind of situation that a child might face when they have or have not done something that they shouldn't have done. And do they lie or do they not lie? And again, that's a, it's a very typical, naturalistic, similar to reality kind of situation. And so for that reason, it's not um, atypical and not out of the ordinary in terms of the risk to the child. So their behavior then sorts them into different groups. Right. So uh, now you have two groups of, of 
children, what are the other variables that you're trying to, to correlate with? Well, in that first study, um, we looked at parenting styles. We were looking specifically at how the children's lying in that experimental context was related to their problem behaviors outside, um, it, you know, as rated by their parents. Mm-hmm. So parents completed a measure that was about um, whether the children showed problem behaviors of different types, what you can call externalizing and internalizing behaviors. So externalizing behaviors are sort of acting out negative problem behaviors, and internalizing behaviors are problematic, but they're more um, internally focused. So a child who's maybe very withdrawn mm-hmm. um, would be somebody who's an internalizing um, depression is an internalizing mm-hmm. um, kind of behavior so um, or response. So the problem behavior measure was all of these together, but it really seemed like the acting out externalizing measure is the one that was most relevant. Um, but we had parents rate the children's problem behaviors overall and saw whether or not those were related to the children's lying in this context. Now here the children were ranged from four, sorry, five to 14 years of age. So there's a, a wide age range yeah, wow. in this sample. Um, but it was, a, there were 63 kids, so it wasn't a huge sample, um, but, they, but they were a, a broad age range. And so we looked at whether um, that parental rating was uh, related to the kids' behavior, and it was. So kids who were showing more of these externalizing problem behaviors were also the kids who were cheating more and lying more. I see. And that was true across the age spectrum? Yes. I see. So this, you have to, to answer that question, you do some statistics, I imagine. Correct. You're trying to, and tell me about the statistics briefly. Well, in this case, the, the, just the two variables. And the one that we're interested in is, um, has only two options. It's a dichotomous variable. Oh, I see. So it's, that's simple. Did they lie it. or did they not? So right. it's a, what we did is a logistic regression. So a regression really is predicting one thing from something else. Got it. And so the thing that we were predicting, this lying, has only two options. And so the logistic part is when you have sort of this two options that are being predicted. And and what we're predicting from is a continuous variable. So it has, it's like a, it's a scale, like a ruler. Yeah, 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 right. A measurement. So logistic regression is an appropriate method when you have this continuous predictor of an outcome that is dichotomous. Okay. And and the summary of what you found is? What we found was that children who... um, had more problem behaviors, um, who showed more externalizing problem behaviors, were more likely to both cheat and to tell lies. Okay. Um, now, I think what's really important to understand about this relationship is that we measured both things at one point in time, right. at the same point in time. Mm-hmm. So these are concurrent measurements. I don't know if one came before the other. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's that externalizing behavior predicts lying or if lying predicts externalizing behavior, right? I don't have an mm-hmm. order here. They're both at the same time. So we don't know anything about causation. We just know there's a, there was a relationship here. Right. So it's a correlation, um, meaning it merits further study, but uh, you can't conclude too much about, uh, too much more than that, I guess. There could be third and fourth variables that are all related. That's right. We and need longitudinal research to be able to, to answer that question, which we're working on, but... Right. And these are all parent-reported external behavior, sorry, um, problematic behaviors that are external. Um, and you, did you ask the kids to do any surveys or you're just watching? No. no what's, and what's I, what I like about that is that we have different reporters, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't, you have parents giving you some information and then the child's behavior is, is what is predicted. Um, mm-hmm. So 
that provides some um, sense of reliability because it's not the same right. person giving you both bits of information. Sure. So that's sort of a strength of the study. Yeah. Okay. And then the other part of the study was where you more observed them in a more natural setting where you weren't sort of setting them up for this as much, right? Correct. This, okay. one, this one is really um, very much a correlational study. So in, in the second study, um, parents completed some self-report measures about them, their own parenting. So they completed a, um, a, a, how, a parenting styles questionnaire. So mm -hmm. it gets at um, sort, of the, sort of the warmth and the reasoning and the punitiveness and the permissiveness in their parenting. So I mentioned earlier the study in African schools. Mm -hmm. So the more punitive style of discipline would be called uh, for parents an authoritarian style. And the more um, you know, reasoning, time out um, sort of parenting would be called authoritative. Um, and then more permissive and sort of less fewer rules and free range. Uh, free range is permissive. <laughs> permissive and so okay. this this measure gets at those parenting styles. Am um, I right that sort of the best way is the middle, that middle ground? The authoritative okay. tends to be associated with the yeah, the, the, best the more positive outcomes for children. Okay. Yeah. With a huge range of Yes, yeah, with okay. a range. Mm -hmm. Um and context again matters. Okay. Um, so anyway, back to the study then. Uh keep going. Uh, also, disciplinary strategies, okay. so a conflict tactic scale, which gets at specific dis disciplinary practices. So mm -hmm. um, sort of reasoning and nonviolent discipline, more physical, um, aggressive discipline, psychologically aggressive discipline, the nonviolent, I said, so mm -hmm. sort of reasoning and so forth. So there's a variety of uh, different strategies that parents can use in their discipline. So this measure gets at those different strategies, um, neglectful strategies. Um, and would a parent admit to neglectful strategies? Yeah. Okay. But, but, but um, there's a range of reliability of the different subscales of the measure because, in part, they're rare. Uh -huh. So the more extreme forms of discipline are much more rare. Mm -hmm. um, so there's less reliability around those. Um, and you do have the concern about sort of um, parents not reporting fully accurately some of the more negative disciplinary sure. styles. Okay. So and, and tell us about the results of this the second phase. Well, one other thing that we record again is the children's social skills. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing is, rather than having the uh, child come in, we had parents for two weeks at home record every time the child lied. Um, and we gave them uh, a whole packet that explained the lies and what we were looking for, what, the, you know, what information we wanted, the context of the lie, and um, you know, who they were lying to, just all of the background mm -hmm. information. And for two weeks, they recorded all their children's lies. What we found was that, children, again, children's problem behaviors were associated with the number of lies that their parents were reporting. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned there are different kinds of lies kids can tell sure. um, and different kinds of things that could be categorized as, as untruths. Um, we took out the ones that were positive lies in the sense that, you know, telling somebody that you liked the really gross food that they cooked for you. Mm -hmm. We took those out. Those would okay. be more pro-social lies that right. were told to protect somebody. Mm -hmm. Those were not counted. So these are really more anti-social lies, that lies that were self-serving, that were negative in some way, that were to get somebody in trouble. There were a variety of lies, but they weren't the, posit quote, positive lies. Mm -hmm. um, but they were related to um, the behavior problems. And interestingly, they were related to um, authoritative parenting and nonviolent discipline. Meaning that the rationally, uh, the the reasoning warm parenting style and nonviolent reasoning discipline were associated with more of these lies. Really, not less, more. Um, 
So that was kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, in addition, um, kids who, uh, whose parents had um, less neglectful sort of parenting strategies and less psychological aggression tend to have that positive association with behavior problems. So more lying with more behavioral problems. Um, because it, I, what I think is really interesting is we've had parents record um, how they socialize lying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you tell your children it's never okay? Is it sometimes okay? Do you lie? Right? And parents will say, you know, I tell my child it's never okay to lie to me. Um, and we'll say, was there ever a time you told them to lie? Oh, yeah. There was yeah. this time we were at an amusement park and I wanted a cheaper ticket. So <laughs> I told my child <laughs> to say they were six instead of eight, right? They will have their kids lie, but they right. will tell them it's never okay and to lie. And of course, lie. that's confusing for a child. Exactly. So the, the socialization around lying is really interesting because we don't think it's okay, but sometimes we do. Yeah. And um, it's not even in the pro-social way. We just, oh, that's a white lie. Eh, yes. Who's really being hurt? The big corporate yes. machine lost $5 and how do you explain that to a kid that that's okay? I mean, obviously, I'm not advocating anybody do that, but, you know, things happen. Right. And parents will say, it's, not, it's never okay to lie to me. Right. And they'll make that differentiation. And I think it matters, again, by age mm-hmm. uh, of the child in terms of how the parent responds, because young children don't understand truth lie. Right. Right. They know right, wrong, and, sure. and they can determine that lying is not okay, um, but... Right. Getting in trouble might be worse. So Of course, yeah. Right, so over time, sort of their understanding changes and evolves. And so parents and how they talk to their children has to evolve because the goal is not that your child is a really good liar. The goal is that your child has internalized the norms about what is acceptable behavior mm-hmm. so that they're not, and the ability to control their own behavior so that they're not constantly doing things that would get them in trouble. Mm-hmm right? Sort of impulsive acts that they would have to then cover up to avoid getting in trouble. So the goal is to control their behavior and then also to be able to take responsibility for their behavior and and have an internalized understanding of, you know what, it feels really bad when I'm caught lying or it feels really bad when people don't trust me Mm because they think I'm a liar and sort of have that going forward so that in their lives they're not um, constantly lying right. in their work lives and, you know, in their relationships, right? It's not, it's, it's being somebody who's not trustworthy is not the best place for somebody to be. That's about all we have time for, but I wanted to give you one last chance to, because uh, our listeners certainly want to know what they can do to help their children uh, have a better relationship with the truth. What's, what's your best advice to parents who are navigating the, their children's uh, discovery that they can lie? Well, I think for parents, what's really important is to teach what they want their children to do. If you teach your child to lie, your child will learn to lie. Children are going to learn to lie naturally. It's mm-hmm. sort of part of, I, I, I think part of what we see is it's part of their early development, sort of gaining this understanding of how minds work and so forth, and they start to learn how to lie. Um, but teaching them the parameters, the expectations, and being consistent in your own behavior, I think will help children with their behavior. So um, rewarding the behavior you would like to see Um, So when children are truthful, rewarding that behavior. Um, Also, teaching them skills around truth-telling. Because I think part of the reason, even as adults, that we tell lies is because we're uncomfortable telling the truth. So how do you teach a child to tell um, a truth gently, nicely, Mm -hmm. um, where they might otherwise prefer to tell a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so modeling that behavior, teaching that behavior could be helpful for children. 
And are you thinking mostly of like sparing someone's feelings or something else? Yeah, that, that's often okay. um, the situation because, you know, one could argue that, yes, it's fine. You should tell somebody you like the, the food that they cooked. And in some situations that actually a lot of parents would prefer that, mm-hmm. you know, be grateful for a gift and mm-hmm. appreciative. But you could show appreciation without lying. Mm-hmm. So if that's what you want your child to do, model it, teach it, mm-hmm. show them how to do it. Don't lie to the people who call your house as a telemarketer and say you're not home, mm-hmm. right? They see, they observe, they see what you do. So teaching them techniques and skills to avoid lying when parents don't think it's appropriate, that's a good strategy. And the other thing is, you know, for children, a lot of the reason that they will lie is that maybe they're not able to refrain from doing something. Mm -hmm. So helping them develop some of the skills that they need to avoid getting into trouble Mm -hmm. in the first place will be important. So helping them avoid transgressing, helping them uh, resist temptation. Yeah. Impulse control and and temptation. It's, we all struggle with it one way or another. Okay, well, this has been a very interesting and enlightening conversation. Uh, once again, this study was published in the Journal of Moral Education, and our guest today was Dr. Angela Crossman, the Chair of Psychology at John Jay College. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, and that's it for us. Have a great week. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, a podcast and science education initiative currently funded by John Jay College, the City University of New York, and Vision Learning. For science educators, don't forget to check out our website for a wealth of resources to help integrate this episode and its featured article into your science classroom. Find us at visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H.